0: Uh, verse. Here's what God's Word says. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, And the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's stop right there. And so just by way of reminder, this is an epistle. Some of your Bibles say the epistle uh, of Paul the Apostle to the Thessalonians. An epistle is a letter. And so the Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a certain church. And not only is Paul writing, but also we see some of his crew also. Silvanus is another name for Silas. So Paul, Silas, and then who else? Timothy. And then we're told who they are writing to in the next part of the verse, to the church in or of the Thessalonians, correct? And so we have to stop and ask ourselves, okay, who in the world are the Thessalonians? Well, if you're taking notes, um, in Acts chapter 15, the Apostle Paul began his second missionary journey. And remember, he was there in the church of Antioch, uh, Antioch of Syria, not Antioch of Pisidia or Turkey. This is north of Israel um, in this church that is an amazing church, by the way, a great study to look at a a church that pleases the Lord. This was a church that really had the heart of God in many different ways, including missions. And this was a church that, that sent missionaries, that got behind missionaries. And by the way, that is a mark of a healthy church. Some of us are called to go, and some of us are called to be senders also. And you guys know if you've been around here for a while, we've been going over 20 years now, and we have been senders and we have been goers. I don't know if that's a word. We have been those that have gone into the mission field and sent missionaries and pastors also so Paul was there at the church of Antioch and he wanted to go back and revisit the churches that he and Barnabas had planted during their first missionary journey but remember what happened with Paul and Barnabas they got in an argument right over who on over John Mark that's right and so they parted ways And uh, John Mark went with Barnabas, and Silas, the man we read about, Silvanus, went with Paul. So Paul and Silas traveled northbound out of Antioch of Syria. They went north, and then they hooked a left going westbound through modern-day Turkey, visiting, if you have a Bible map, you can check it out later. They usually have Paul's missionary journeys. So Paul headed west with Silas, and they started to hit all the churches that Paul had planted on his first missionary journey. And along the way, they picked up this young man named Timothy. Timothy began to join them. And so they continued to travel westbound, being led by the Holy Spirit. Is it important to be led by the Holy Spirit, by the way? The Holy Spirit closes doors, opens doors. They followed the leading of the Holy Spirit and ended up in Europe. They ended up in a city called Philippi, which is in modern-day Greece. The the northern part of Greece, as we're studying our Bibles, was called Macedonia. The southern part of Greece is called Achaia. And so they arrived in Philippi, and we learn about what happened in Philippi in chapter 16 of the book of Acts. Awesome story. We don't have time to discuss what happened there. Eventually, Paul, Silas, and Timothy left uh, Philippi and traveled southbound, along the eastern coast of modern day Greece they hit uh, Apollonia Amphipolis and some other cities and then finally arrived in Thessalonica acts chapter 17 we read about what happened in Thessalonica that's what we're talking about the Thessalonians the apostle Paul as was his custom he went into the where did he go what was his custom to go where first synagogues. into the synagogues that's right the gospel going to the Jew first and then to the Gentile or non-Jew. So he went into the synagogue and he was, given, uh, he was given the pulpit. I mean, think about Paul's credentials. Paul, who? Saul of Tarsus is here? Oh, we got to hear from him. We got to listen to this dude. And what happened? All of a sudden, he broke out the scriptures and he began to teach them about Jesus Christ. Awesome. And reasoning from the scriptures... That Jesus is the Christ, that he suffered, died, was buried, rose again on the third day. That Jesus fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies concerning his first coming perfectly and completely. So he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Great example for us for three Sabbaths. Three, what is a Sabbath? Sunday. Sundown. No, sundown Friday to sundown Saturday is the Sabbath. So Paul was there for three Sabbaths, approximately three weeks, and it says that there were a few Jews that gave their lives to Jesus, that got born again. There were many non-Jews, also Gentiles, that were saved and were born again also. And it also mentions there were some prominent women, like some heavy-hitting women, maybe politicians or whatever, also were saved. And then something happened. Those Jews that did not believe, they were ticked off. And that happened a lot with Paul, didn't it? They were were ticked off, man. They were envious. It says they were envious of what was happening. And what did they do? They stirred up. If you got a king, anybody have a King James Bible? King Jimmy? It says they, they, they went and grabbed lewd fellows of the baser sort in the King James. That's where the King James really shines, doesn't it? In other words, they went to the city and got a bunch of dirt bags, a bunch of scumbags. And they formed a mob. And they went to hunt down the Apostle Paul. They ended up going to this dude named Jason's house. And that's probably where Paul, Silas, and Timothy were staying. They opened their house to the missionary team. And they couldn't find him there. Jason and some of the guys got drugged to the city council. They paid him off. And ultimately, the apostle Paul had to leave town. He left with Silas, left with Timothy. And they began to continue to travel southbound, um, down even further. The apostle Paul ended up being in Athens, waiting for Silas and Timothy there. They finally came and arrived. And Paul Paul was hurting inside. Because he had a concern for this brand new church and what was going on with them. His heart longed to be with them, to continue to disciple them. So what did he do? He sent Timothy. He sends Timothy to get word, not only to get word on how the church is doing, but also to disciple those new believers, to minister to them. By the way, that's healthy stuff. We're going to learn this morning... And as we continue our way through uh, Thessalonians chapter 1 of what a healthy church is. We want to be in a healthy church, don't we? Yes. we are, listen, we are in a healthy church. By the grace of God, by His Spirit, <laughs> to His glory. This is a healthy church. And we're going to see marks of a healthy church, of a healthy Christian life also. And so Timothy eventually came back and met Paul in Corinth and told him everything that was going on which prompted him to write this letter. Some believe this is one of Paul's earliest letters, one of his first letters. And so it is, how far do we get? Half a verse? Let's keep going. So that's how the church began. That's why Paul is writing to them. Um, Timothy came back, shared with him. There were some things he needed to shore up in their walk to help them out in their walk with the Lord. Total pastor's heart. It's awesome. And so... We're told in that first verse, it is the the church of the Thessalonians in God and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So their physical location is where? In Thessalonica, but their spiritual location is in the Father and in the Son. Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Isn't it beautiful to be in the Lord? (laughs) Right? Spiritually, positionally glorious because of his grace and that's what he says in the next part of the verse grace to you this is paul's common greeting you read through the through paul's letters to the different churches and this is how he would begin his letter we don't say that much do we in our letters like what's up dude or you know this is so beautiful because because it always comes in that order it's always grace and peace Gr- what is grace grace is god's goodness his kindness his blessing given to you and me. It's not deserved. It's not earned. It's not worked for. I love the acrostic um, grace. G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. I think that's a great way to remember it. All of the blessings, spiritual blessings are ours because of what Jesus did for us by his grace. Amen. And it's important to be reminded it's always grace and peace because you can't experience peace without God's grace first. And why do we need peace? Why do we need peace this morning? Well, number one, there's two two types of peace biblically. We need to have peace with God, number one. Before we give our lives to Jesus, before we surrender to him, the Bible tells us that we are at war with God. We are his enemies. Isn't it interesting? Because some people say, oh, everybody's a child of God, and we're going to hold hands and sing kumbaya and rainbows and unicorns and float around. No, 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 no. You're either a child of God or the Bible says straight up, 1 John, you're a child of the devil. And, you, and I learned that after I got saved. I'm like, wow, thank you, Lord. I, never, I, thought I, was, I thought I was right, check this out, with the man upstairs. If you're calling him the man upstairs, listen, you need, to, you need to repent and have a real fear of God and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And realize, man, you're at war with him until you surrender in brokenness and realize that you've sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You've broken his law. You are guilty. I am guilty until we surrender. Then what happens? When we surrender, and then the Bible tells us now we have peace with God. If you're taking notes, Romans 5.1. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that amenable stuff this morning, you guys? Having been justified. What's a big theological term. What does justified mean? Here's a real simple way to remember it. Justified. It's just as if I'd never sinned at all. God said it. I didn't say it. The Lord says concerning the new covenant in his blood, their sins and their lawless deeds, I will remember no more. That's good news this morning, is it not? (laughs) Justified freely, justified by faith, simply because we put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. We have peace with God, and it's through the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's peace with God when we surrender, but we can also experience the peace of God. Where does it say that? Philippians, somewhere in there. Philippians 4, verses, I think it's 6 and 7. It's probably one of the most disobeyed commands in Scripture. You guys know what I'm talking about? Be anxious for a couple things. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything... Is it up on the scoreboard here? Oh, you guys are cheating. You got, okay. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and here's a promise and the peace of of God which surpasses all understanding will what will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus that's grace man and when we lose our peace we let our guard down we're no longer connected in prayer we were called later to, to pray without ceasing to keep, the, keep the, the conversation going with the Lord, talking and listening. And the moment we don't, what happens? We lose our peace. We get our eyes on our problems, our issues, and other stuff. We talked about this Wednesday night. Were you all here Wednesday night? Did you guys watch? Some of you were. Where were you? No, just kidding. Isaiah 26.3, God has perfect peace to the mind that stayed upon him. How amazing is that perfect peace to the mind that is stayed upon him and so paul paul tells us grace and peace from who the father and the son that's where grace and peace come from you're not going to find peace from the things in the world if i just smoke another one of these i'm gonna have some peace man then you got to do it again If I just have another one of these, another one of that, if I get this, I'll have peace in my life. There's no peace until you say, Lord Jesus, I surrender. And then you experience his peace. And you walk in his peace. And not only that, you have peace to give others as well. Amen? Okay, let's see what he has to say here. Verse 2. Paul says, we give thanks to God always, for y'all. Paul was Southern. You guys see that there? (laughs) Southern Tarsus, that's where he was from. We, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and the patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. That's a long sentence, isn't it? Paul is like the master of the run-on sentence. (laughs) He just keeps going and going. And there's all these like nuggets tucked in, aren't there, As, as you work your way through. So he's like, every time we think about you, thank you, Lord, for them. Thank you for the church. And not only that, Paul makes mention of them always in prayer. So when he would think of the Thessalonians, he would not only thank the Lord for them, but he would pray for them also. And it says makes mention. It doesn't say we prayed for six to eight hours for you guys. We made mention of you. Do you know how you can apply that? today? Are you guys going to eat today? Anybody going to eat? No? Some of y'all? When you eat today, would you remember to just say... Lord, thank you for Calvary Chapel, West Houston. Would you bless my brothers and sisters? Real simple. You can do that every, if you want every meal. Then we'll we'll, come to remember, we'll we'll come to one another's remembrance more than once or twice. Why is Paul so thankful? What does he say? Why is he thankful? Why, are they, why is the team, the crew, thankful for them? Well, he says, we remember without ceasing. We're, we're continually thinking about you, and three things specifically, and I would say this morning, these three things are the building blocks of a healthy church. Faith, hope, love, or faith, love, and hope. Do you guys see that with me? Paul uses that over and over in the New Testament. Faith, love, hope. And so number one, he's remembering their work of faith. And so a work of faith, the things that they, were, they, were, they set out to do, they set out to do trusting the Lord. The things, the ventures or adventures they took, it was simply trusting in the Lord. When they would do the good works that God had prepared for them, they were doing it trusting in the Lord. If you're not trusting in the Lord, who are you trusting in? Yourself, your flesh, your own strength, your own wisdom, your own might. And the Lord simply, what pleases Him is that we would trust Him. Correct? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. It's simple. He wants us to just trust him. I would say it's impossible to please people. I would say it's even impossible to please yourself, too. But listen, Jesus is not hard to please. He simply wants us to trust him. Are The steps of faith you're taking, are you still taking them this morning? Are you still taking steps of faith, ventures of faith, you know, you when you're outside of your comfort zone, you know you're walking by faith. I may sign up for this home fellowship. I don't know yet. People may get to know me. Rut row. They might find out how I really am. Big whoop. We're all a mess. Like get over yourself. Correct? Aren't we all? I mean, I'm learning more and more. I have a special needs son. We're all special needs kids. We all need the Lord, and we all need one another. I mean, just do one study, one study of all the one another statements in the New Testament. You'll be blown away, man. You can't do one another statements if you're isolated and a Lone Ranger Christian. You need to be plugged in to the family of God. And we are called to good works, by the way. Good works don't save us. We are saved by grace, through faith, not of works, Lest any man should boast, but Paul goes on to say in Ephesians two ten, what? You are his workmanship, you are his work of art, you are his poema created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's prepared beforehand. And so God's already prepared the works for you. He's already got good works ready for you, and for me, and all we got to do is just walk in those. How do I walk in those? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will direct your steps. You'll get in the flow as you're looking to him and trusting in him. And what begins to happen? Life works. You obey his word. You do those things that he calls you to do. And it's like, man, why wasn't I doing this all along? Because why? Because you were the ruler of the ship, the captain of your own destiny, until you said, Lord, I surrender. Your will be done. I'll follow you. I'll do what your word says. And it's a work of faith. What's the second... Second building block, labor of, labor of love. So their faith produced works and their love produced labor. And that word, interesting word, labor in the Greek, it means laboring uh, in the midst of trouble and toil, heartache and harassment is the idea, in difficulty. Listen, it's easy to love when things are going good and, and everybody's lovable. In loving you isn't it but the rubber meets the road when when people aren't loving you or they're unkind to you correct is anybody is that anybody else's experience or is that just moi? <laughs> but the things they were doing the labor was because they loved jesus and they love people That's crucial. Without love, we become what? Clanging cymbal, right? We're nothing. Love is where it's at, man. That should be our motivation. It's the love of Christ that compels me, Paul said. The love of Christ is what constrains me. It's because of his love for me. I love him because he first loved me. (laughs) And what I do now is in response to him, to his grace, to his love, to his goodness. I want to walk closely with him and follow his lead and, and, and love as he has loved me. And hasn't he loved you in an awesome way? No strings attached with all of our mess. He continues to love us and work in us. I, it's a labor of love on his part, isn't it? But if you're not laboring... If it's not a labor of love, you know what it is? It's another work of the flesh. And there's some people I know that are serving the Lord, and it's no longer a labor of love. It's just labor. And you're worn out. You're worn out and you're burned out and you're bitter and you're pointing the finger at everyone else and you know where the problem is. When you point the finger, how many are looking right back at you, pointing at you? Trace, maybe four if you Right? The problem ain't this way, man. The problem's this way. It's not horizontal, it's vertical. Correct? You guys with me this morning? Yeah. And so what do I, what do, I do? Yeah, I'm laboring and I don't have love anymore. It's, always, it's so simple. Jesus just says, come back to me. Come to me. Right? Remember the church of Ephesus? They left their first love. Jesus said, repent, remember from where you've fallen, and redo the first works. There it is. Three R's. Remember from where you've fallen, repent, and redo the first works. Not hard. It needs to be a labor of love. That's the second building block. What's the third? Patience of hope. And so their hope, hope in who? Hope in what? Look what it says. In the Lord, right? Patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So their hope, listen, we have the best hope ever, don't we? Do we have the best hope ever? Biblical hope is way different than worldly hope. Worldly hope is this. I hope I get straight A's this semester. Chances are some of you, it ain't happening. (laughs) Maybe. Right? That's worldly hope. Or, I hope I strike it rich. I hope I win the, oh, you guys don't do that. That's bad stewardship, correct? You guys don't do that. But if I did, and I win the 10 million, I'll give 10% to the church. Listen, if you win 10 million, we want half, not two. No, just kidding. Just, 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 Just a joke. Don't write me. Don't call me. But that's worldly hope. I'm going to strike it rich. I'm going to make this deal. I'm going to... Listen, biblical hope. Biblical hope, here's a simple definition. It is the absolute expectation of good. Why? Because it's not based upon uh, temporal. It's, It's based upon the eternal. It's based upon our Lord Jesus Christ and his promises to us. Listen, I can have patience, which is the word hoopamone. Remember, hoopamone in Greek. It sounds Italian, doesn't it? Give me a scoop of that hoopamone. <laughs> it means to bear up under, to endure, to keep going. I can keep going because I have hope in Jesus. My hope is not in me, my hope is not in my circumstances, my hope is in the Lord. Amen. You know what I'm saying? And I know he's not going to let me down because he promised me that he's going to work all things together for good because I love him. And I've responded to his call, that he's begun a good work in me, and he's going to see it through till till his day, till he shows up, or I'm with him. And so I can be patient when I'm going through difficulty and hardship. I can endure because I have biblical hope. I have glorious hope, and my hope is in my living Lord Jesus Christ and in his word and his promises. Amen? Amen. But he he also snuck a little, another phrase in there. Look what it says in that verse. In the sight, so Paul says, we remember without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, in the sight of our God and Father. Isn't that interesting? He reminds them that God's watching. Do you know that God sees? Yeah, oh yeah. That could be either really comforting this morning or really convicting. You know what I'm saying? Do you know the Lord sees everything? No? You guys know that he sees everything? Yeah, yeah. Hebrews four thirteen, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open. To the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so the Lord sees everything. Why is that so important? That reminder. It's great to be reminded the Lord sees everything. It keeps us in a place of when we have an awareness of his thereness. it keeps us in a safe place. Because when do we get in trouble? When do you get in when do you when do you sin? What do you do, typically, sometimes? I look left, I look right, look backwards. I don't look up. Correct? No temptation has seized you, except which is common to man. And God is faithful. He will, he will provide a way out that you might stand up under that temptation. He provides the, the way of escape. Right? And what do we do? We lose that awareness of his there that he sees, he knows. Are you with me? Or is this just something that happens to me once a decade? (laughs) No. We do that, don't we? Right? We forget that he sees, and Paul reminds them, it's in his sight, he sees. And again, it's comforting to know that. Because if you're being done wrong, guess who else sees? The Lord sees. When you're struggling... He sees, he knows. When you're going through difficulty, you're not all alone. He sees, he knows, he's with you. Promise to never leave you nor forsake you. Paul's reminding them of that. It's a great reminder. And not only that, he says, my brethren beloved, do you know that you'd be loved by God? He reminds them, look at that, knowing beloved brethren, your election by God. He reminds them, you're special brothers and sisters. That you are loved by God. You are loved, let me put put it in a different way. You are loved with an everlasting love, the Bible says. How do I know? I'm struggling. He loves me. He loves me not. He loves me. How do I know? How do you know? 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love, that he gave his life for us. One look to the cross tells us and reminds us of how much he loves you, that he was willing to give his life to save you and rescue you and make you his very own, but not just that, he also says, "My beloved brethren, remembering your election, you're elected, you're chosen." Amen. Amen. Well, what do I choose or am I chosen? What's the answer, Pastor? Yes. <laughs> whoa, whoa, time out. Am I elected? Am I chosen, or do I have to choose? Yes. How can you say that? Because the Bible teaches both. The Bible teaches clearly God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. From Genesis to Revelation. Well then, pastor, how do you reconcile the two? I don't. God has not asked me to reconcile the two. He's asked me to trust him to trust his word. Because you can't reconcile the two. This, I don't think you can, this side of heaven. So I'm excited that I'm a first-round draft pick. Aren't you? Some of you all, you never got chosen growing up for the team. Right? It was like, okay, you five over here, you five over here, and there's you. You, you get the pad and paper. You're the statistician, man. We'll rotate you in when someone gets tired, and what happens? They play for three hours, and thanks for coming. But isn't it great that Paul says, remember this, you're a first-round draft pick. It's beautiful. Something to rejoice in. Not something to argue over. And there's plenty of churches and people that want to argue with that over, you know? You know what I'm saying? I don't even throw my hat in the ring anymore. I used to. It's like... Well, how do, you, how do you figure it out, Pastor? How can I explain this? I got one lame illustration I like to use. 32 years ago, I was at a beach in Southern California at a beach party, and I saw the most beautiful girl ever. Most wonderful. And I said, I am going to marry her. I choose her. She didn't know it at the time. Six months later, I showed up at her parents' house in Las Vegas, Nevada. I first went to her father. I first went to her father to ask for her hand. Let me repeat that in case you dudes missed it. She had no idea I was there. I went to her father first to ask for her hand. I waited out back and she came out and she's like, what are you doing here? And I said, I want to live the rest of my life with you. I am in love with you. And what did she say? I said, will you marry me? What, you know what she said? No way, Jose. No, no, she, she said yes. I chose her, yet she still chose me. Amen? And so both work together. I know it falls short on a lot of levels, but that's how my two brain cells work to help me understand. (laughs) Look what he says next to verse 5. Paul goes on. This is so good because he's going to talk about not only the building blocks of a healthy church, but some of the marks of a healthy church. And it says in verse 5, For our gospel, the good news, did not come to you in word only, but also, notice this, in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance. As you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake, and you became followers of us, and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to who? To all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. From, for from you, the word of the Lord has sounded forth where to? Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. So Paul reminds them, right, of what it was like when he came. And he says, when we came, we shared the word of the Lord with you. We shared the gospel, the good news with you. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believes in him shall never perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He has, that's all he has to work with, every one of us. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And God sent his son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And Jesus went to the cross willingly laid down his life and suffered the punishment for our sins. He absorbed the wrath and punishment that we deserve for our sins as he hung on the cross. He suffered, died, and was buried and rose again on the third day, demonstrating that everything he said is true and that he is God. And you need to repent and put your faith and trust in him in order to be saved. Paul came and shared that. A simple gospel message. And then what did the Lord do? Paul and the crew, Silas and Timothy, they shared, and then God provided the supernatural. Did you guys see that? The word, the gospel didn't come in word only, but also in power. And I want to remind us, the apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 1, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The power is in the gospel, gang. We're called to simply share, to, to, uh, to communicate the good news with, to others. And if you've been saved, if you've been born again, you have a testimony of what the Lord has done. And you've experienced his power, have you not, in your life? The life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you guys experienced that? (laughs) Yes. It's a a miracle. Listen, the, the new birth is a miracle. I think it's the greatest miracle. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. I was once blind, but now I see. I was dead, but now I'm alive, and Jesus made me alive. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. And so the word came not only in word, but in power. I would also say there were miracles and signs and wonders that happened. How do you know that? Well, he tells us the word came in power. It tells us, you remember in Mark chapter 16, what Jesus said to his uh, disciples Mark 16 to his disciples, to his committed to his committed followers, are you guys committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Not the rest of the room. Are you guys committed followers of the Lord Jesus Christ? Then this instructions for all of us. What did Jesus say to his committed followers before he took off back into heaven? He said to them, "Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Isn't that interesting? Not you and the the world go to church. You and the church go to the world. Well, I can't. I can't leave. I got this going. Just go to Walmart, man. You guys ever been to Walmart lately? We got people from everywhere. Like, it's amazing. It's almost as if God is saying, if you don't want to go, then I'll bring them to you. We're all called to go and preach the gospel to every creature. Preach means to proclaim. Doesn't mean you need to get a, on a box or a pulpit. You're, listen, your pulpit is wherever the Lord leads your feet. And He's going to say in just a little while, it's not just communicating the gospel; it's being, it's 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 also walking in the gospel, doing what the Lord says. Backing up the gospel, the holy message, the sacred message with a holy life. And so Jesus said, here's what he said. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And so we see that happen in the book of Acts, don't we? Do We said in the book of Acts, y'all, Paul got bit by a snake. You guys remember that? I drank some funky stuff in India one time and I was claiming this promise right here. <laughs> Lord, please don't let me get sick. You said it, drink anything deadly, it's not going to hurt me. And the Lord protected me by the grace of God. So look, this is what happens. So then, this is Mark 16, 19. So then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out. They were obedient. They went out and preached everywhere. And then check this out. The Lord working with them. It's one thing to work for the Lord. It's another to work with him. The Lord working with them and confirming the word Through the accompanying signs, amen. Isn't that beautiful? So they were faithful to go to preach, to share the word, and God supplied the supernatural, the new births of the converts. God also doing doing healing and, and doing other signs and wonders to confirm the word. This is so important. Signs and wonders follow believers. Believers don't follow signs and wonders. You know what I'm saying? I just got a text. Jesus' face is on a, on a tortilla down in Hermosillo. Should we go? Oh, we got to go. It's a sign. Really? Believers don't chase after signs and wonders. Because if, if that's your deal, if that's your like, I mean, listen, if that's your whole uh, vibe or whatever you do, you will never be satisfied. Because signs and wonders do not produce a lasting faith. They create a vacuum or a hunger for more and bigger and greater. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. I am not down on signs and wonders. God always does radical stuff here at this church. And everywhere we go, the Lord has confirmed his word with accompanying signs and wonders. And I am so grateful for that. But I don't need my, the hair on my back of my neck to stick up, to be excited about Jesus. I'm in love with him because he loved me first. And so God was confirming his word in Thessalonica, not only with power, but also, what else does it say? In the Holy Spirit, does it say that? But also, and in the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was doing what? His job as they were sharing the word The Holy Spirit, what's the Holy Spirit's, what's one of his jobs? To convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, right? You guys see that? Is it up on the scoreboard too? I see everybody peeking up there. The Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. And not only that, the Holy Spirit is also our comforter, These people received the word in much affliction with joy in the Holy Spirit. They were excited even though they were getting harassed, hassled, maybe even getting a beat down. And what was the Holy Spirit doing? Bringing comfort to them in their affliction. And not only that, as Paul was teaching, as they were sharing the word of God, the Holy Spirit was doing, what else does the Holy Spirit do? Guiding them into all truth. John 14, 15, and 16. Jesus teaches us about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, man. How cool, can you guys dig that? How awesome is that? He helps us to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's what's happening at Thessalonica when Paul and the gang are there. They're just sharing the word. They're just loving the people, and God's providing the supernatural. Listen, a healthy church, listen, a healthy church It is a supernatural church. Listen. If you can explain it, then it's not the Lord. You know, there's there's been people that have come to our church or know about our church, and they say, "I don't even know how y'all exist." You don't send around the chicken buckets every Sunday. You know, what I'm talking about chicken buckets. Some of you guys have been to churches where it's next seven weeks is God's going bankrupt, and you got to dig deep chicken buckets are coming around, you know, second or third time. Yeah. Yeah. No thermometers on the walls. <laughs> loose leadership. Not loose in the sense of loose character or loose morals, but loose bureaucracy. <laughs> How do you exist as a church? There's only one explanation. Guess what it is? It's the Lord. You don't do demographic studies? You don't wear a suit? What's the matter with you? You wear tennis and a Hawaiian shirt? That's what I do. You don't have a couple of letters before your name and behind your name? I do not. P- you talk about PhD? Is that what you're talking about? Piled high and deep? I don't have that. No. I'm not down if you do have a PhD. That's killer great good for you hallelujah make sure you use it to the glory of God Amen. it's the Lord you got an ex-druggy baseball player surfer as a pastor with two brain cells left There's a, Tanya knows beyond a shadow of a doubt it's got to be the Lord <laughs> some of you guys know too those of you in leadership are like, and what does, the, what does the Lord do? Bring gifted people. You're a joke administratively, Mike. Amen. So what does the Lord do? Brings Bonnie, brings Michael, brings Lloyd. Brings, you know, it's just like, thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. I get to do what, what the Lord's gifted me to do and, and teach and love you guys and pray for you and and let him, Jesus said, I will build my church. It takes all the pressure off. Correct? Yes. It's not like we have to come up with some kind of plan. What's your five-year plan? What's your 10-year plan? There is none to keep following Jesus, to keep making him number one, serving him. That's the, five, wanna know the five-year, 10-year plan. There you go. And trusting that he's going to provide a bigger place because he's going to keep saving people and keep bringing people. Amen. And sending people. And some of us responding to God's call to go. Building blocks of a healthy church. Work of faith. Labor of love. Patience of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. A church that is simply trusting in the Lord and trusting in His Word and allowing Him to work supernaturally in and through and amongst our lives. And who gets all the credit? He does. He gets the glory. And who does he use? The weak, the foolish, the base things. Why? To confound the wise. By and large, a bunch of misfits, a bunch of knuckleheads. Right? Like I said earlier, get over it. The rougher, the better. And the Lord does what? He molds us and shapes us and builds us together as a body, as a family. That we might bring him glory and honor. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much.